This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda from SLD and you're listening to Think Retail and today SLD's president Jean-Pierre Lacroix is going to be a guest moderator and he'll be speaking to Simon Stenning, a consultant who works exclusively in the food service and hospitality sector, providing brands with actionable market intelligence. Simon's background includes working with huge names like Hilton and Compass and he's speaking to us today from his office in the UK. Good day, Simon. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this podcast on the future of the food service industry. I'm very excited about hearing what you have to say. But before we start, could you give us a little bit of a background on your yourself and your organization? Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, JP, and thanks for uh, inviting me onto uh, onto the podcast. So uh, my business is all about uh, forecasting the future of the uh, the UK food service market. Um, uh, it's something that uh, has never been done before. Um, I've spent uh, about 12 years, uh, the last 12 years of my career, uh, providing market data, market intelligence to uh, the food service market uh, across uh, all sectors of it, from uh, coffee to hotels to uh, uh, pubs and restaurants. Um, and um, all of the market intelligence concentrates on what's happening right now, uh, with a forecast maybe for the next year, year or two. Um, and what was missing and what the opportunity was was to look at a five to 10 year horizon and look at the key drivers of change, the, the macro factors um, that will change how things happen, who's doing what, uh, why they're doing such things, the consumer trends and so on. Um, and I've pulled that all together into uh, a report on the future of food service. But my background is, um, is not just in market intelligence in food service. I started off with a degree in hotel and catering management. Uh, I ran hotels for uh, the first few years. Uh, and then um, I, I went into the retail food service uh, sector by working with a, a very embryonic Pret-a-Manger in the uh, mid-1990s. Um, worked with them for five years, growing the business to uh, over 80 stores. Uh, and then um, with Compass Group uh, moving into more of a marketing development role and since then moving into market intelligence. So Simon, what is the current state of the industry from a standpoint of trends, growth and potential challenges? Um, well, here in the UK, the, um, the headlines uh, for the food service market have really all been uh, taken up by something which has been described as the casual dining crunch. Um, and that's because of the... Uh, uh, the failure of um, several brands uh, within the branded restaurant sector to keep pace with changing consumer demands, the changing uh, economic factors, and um, some of them have, uh, uh, have ceased completely. Many of them have had to uh, regroup their estates, uh, close some sites, to work on concentrating, um, uh, concentrating their work on developing the, uh, the offer, and making sure that the core of their estate is performing really well. The, the factors that have driven this, regrettably, is uh, our decision to, uh, to leave the, um, the European Union. Mm. Um, and that's led to a, a terrible drop-off in consumer confidence going into negative territory since uh, June 2016. And whilst all the other economic factors have been great, you know, there's uh, lowest unemployment levels, there's uh, wage growth, 
We've got higher disposable income because inflation is low. GDP is still quite strong. Everything points to, uh, to it being a good time, but um, consumer confidence is negative. And as a result, we kind of um, hunker down a little bit, just, uh, just stop going out and treating ourselves so much. And we've had, so we had that from an con, uh, economic and consumer perspective, but at the same time for the industry, there are things that have been cyclical. Um, you know, there's a, a good opportunity, so money piles in, investment piles in, expansion gets underway, uh, that puts demand on property and therefore rents go up. But at the same time, uh, we've had uh, a little bit of devaluing of, um, of sterling. We've therefore had um, food price inflation and we've had business rates going up as a, a tax on, uh, on property. There have been uh, the national minimum wage increases. And whilst most of this, I say is cyclical, most of this can be absorbed by businesses by passing on uh, in the way of uh, menu price increasing, the two and a half, three percent that, that um, is tracked sort of every, uh, every season. When you get that all happening at the same time and consumer confidence is plummeting, it's created a perfect storm and that's why some brands have failed. But they don't tell the whole story because there's other operators that have been doing particularly well. Some at the value end of the, train, uh, the chain, McDonald's, Greggs, uh, JD Weatherspoons, um, and, and McDonald's is a fantastic success story. I think uh, the UK has been um, helping with the overall McDonald's performance uh, around the world, achieving um, high single-digit uh, growth on a like-for-like basis. So the, the true picture of the market is, it's, you wouldn't say it's in a strong place. There's still growth. Market indicators say uh, about 1.5% growth in the overall market. Like-for-like sales year-on-year year are difficult to achieve. But consumers will still eat out, despite the lack of confidence, because they need it to fit in with busier lives. And of course, we've had um, delivery as a, a real driver of some of that growth, because it's what consumers need to fit in with busier lives and at the same time getting what they want. Well, that's great insight, Simon. The uh, in- interesting point here is that you, we could argue that the UK is kind of the forerunner of what potentially could happen in the marketplace in other countries as the economic downturn is showing its ugly head. Uh, We're hearing the word recession popping up in conversations in the media, et cetera. And when you look at that, you know, that the consumer is moving towards value brands, how is that impacting also which of these categories like fast food, fast casual, casual dining and fine dining, in addition to the non-conventional food service operators like food trucks and uh, hotels, where do we see the winners and losers as we look forward to the, you know, look forward in the future on uh, some of these consumer trends? Well, I think they're, they're um, generally, there's been a polarization and uh, with, with consumers moving towards more value driven offers. And that's actually a, 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 a legacy from uh, the recession in the UK in 2009, that we, uh, we're kind of driven towards that value end because we know that we can still get good quality at a low price point. And then at the other end of the scale, the fine dining market, if we, you know, we're, I'm sort of loath to describe it as such, but the fine dining market is still doing really well. And uh, that's driven by, uh, with some of the devaluation of the pound, we're getting inordinate numbers of tourists coming into the UK attracted by everything the UK can offer and relatively good value. So the fine dining um, 
premium restaurants concentrated in cities is is benefiting from uh, from that it's those that are in the middle that uh, uh, that get caught a little bit that um, that have the difficulties now in the uk that's affected some of those branded restaurants because they haven't contemporized they haven't kept pace with changing expectations growing expectations changing need for experiences and the different cuisines and so on but the the main middle ground in the uk market is um, is the great british pub uh, and despite the uh, the demise of, of pubs in terms of numbers, and we've been losing on a net basis about a thousand pubs a year uh, over the past um, 10, 12 years. Despite that, the pubs that are left are that much better, and they're attracting the um, the middle market, that mass market, because they're offering pretty good value. It's a very simplistic service model, and more importantly, we the British love the pub. You know, we're, we've, we've all got one close to us because there, there are still um, 47,000 pubs in, in the UK. Um, and you compare that to about 5,000 branded restaurants. So you can see that we've all got more pubs available. The pubs are dealing well with the middle market. But um, uh, the growth going forward is going to be in the, uh, certainly in the value end, fast food, but a better quality fast food. And McDonald's are showing the way. But then we've got a lot of contemporary new fast food operators that um, are delivering fantastic value, brilliant quality, great experiences, in, interesting cuisines, whether it's burritos or uh, Korean chicken or ramen noodles. All of these things are really grabbing the, uh, uh, the appetite and uh, attention of, of consumers. And then um, you mentioned street food, food trucks. Yeah, again, because that's delivering these, these incredible experiences still at a good value price point, looking at uh, average spend sort of below the £10 mark, and that fits in with what consumers want to do and also have the disposable income to be able to do on a more frequent basis. So those are certainly going to be winners. I've done a, a segmentation of the restaurant industry looking at 2030, and you can see that there's still going to be scope for um, for restaurants that meet the needs for leisure and entertainment you know giving that um, trip to the cinema with a, a, a good meal out um, those that are, meet the needs for a special occasion so whether it's business or whether it's uh, birthdays so those are more premium end but in the fine dining end of the market i think we've got the situation where michelin stars and a limited number of chefs who want to create that who want to get to that sort of accolade and a limited number of people who want to do the bucket list ticking off and going to every one. But what we're also seeing is a really good level of restaurants that I've described as neighborhood chef led. Great chefs who've come out of great restaurants, brilliant uh, careers with high profile chefs, but they're not looking for the accolades. They're not looking for uh, recognition. They just want to run a nice business meeting the needs of, of consumers in their neighborhood. And that's where I see the restaurant industry developing. Doesn't necessarily have to be premium, premium. It's going to be more expensive than, than a pub, more expensive than fast food and branded restaurants, but something which is a little bit more niche. So those, I think, are, are going to be the winners. The other area which is undoubtedly going to be a winner is, um, is the leisure industry. Because in the UK, we've got a, a growing, uh, aging population. Uh, there's some significant changes as we hit uh, 2030 in terms of 
the shape of the population. Um, so much more percentage-wise of the population is going to be aged over 65. Now, some of us will still be working when we're 65, uh, but there's a, a great deal who will have retired or will just be doing part-time work, and they will have a lot more resources and a lot more time to, to place on leisure. And whether that's staycations, whether that's leisure experiences, immersive restaurants, experiential restaurants, I think all of those things are going to do particularly well. Um, so, uh, so my money certainly on uh, on the leisure market. So, Simon, so pretend that we can do uh, time travel. That we've invented this uh, portal that uh, both yourself and myself uh, can jump into, and we arrive at twenty thirty five. We arrive London. New York, Chicago, uh, Tokyo. We arrive in those cities and we're hungry. We want to find a place to eat. What would the food service industry look like in 2035? What would change dramatically? What would be the big shift? We'd say, oh my God. Brilliant question. Uh, the, big, the, the big difference really is going to be what I'm describing as this polarization. So on the one hand, our our immediate food needs are going to be met by technologically driven restaurants, fast food that I'm describing as social refueling. You can't, you can't really describe them as restaurants. They're about getting great food, albeit in a social environment, but fast and tech driven. And that's because operators are going to not only embrace, but they need to use technology to help them from a resource perspective. And, uh, it, you know, we're not going to see chefs as robots, but we are going to see technology uh, replacing a lot of the menial tasks, back of house and front of house. When there are restaurants now that you can, you can go into, they're called the restaurant, but you, you can be shown to a table and then have no interaction with staff other than thanking them when they bring you food and drink, because all of your interactions go through um, their app. Yeah, that's happening in China. You know, yeah. we have an office in Shanghai, and when I go to a restaurant, I just scan the bar, the QR code, I order from my phone, they deliver it, I then pay for through my phone. I never meet, other than the food being delivered to my table, I never interact with the server. Yeah. So I'm, I'm calling that um, social refueling rather than casual dining. Yeah. So, and the same with fast food. You know, why do people need to be involved uh, other than in final preparation, um, assembling of, of, of food? So that's going to be at one end. And then at the other end, there's going to be the exemplary experiences that is all around great quality. It's where we're really getting something that is worth paying for because we know that we can get food anywhere we want, whenever we want, whatever but something that gives us that real experience. It could be immersive. It could be, uh, I mean, some examples are uh, Mamma Mia, the party that is uh, about to open in, uh, in London, where uh, guests sit in, uh, in Nico's Tavern, whilst the actors and um, uh, actresses and uh, singers, it all happens around you and you're part of it. There's a lot of examples like that that we're starting to see now, and I, I believe that will go forward. Um, so, uh, you know, when we go out, we, we really get a, a great time. We'll see uh, a lot more focus on sustainability. We won't be getting packaged food in, 
non-biodegradable, non-compostable plastic uh, containers. That will have changed and we will have a much different attitude as consumers in, in 2035 about what we're doing to the planet. So the food will be different. Certainly it'll be much more plant-based, less meat uh, focused and uh, all about sustainability. No food wastage and, and everything far better uh, organized with the environment in mind. So those I think will be the, the, the key changes. Well, thank you very much, Simon. Um, we're just looking at, the, at our time and we've got another five minutes. I'd like to say, what, you know, what were the key drivers of change in the marketplace uh, that are, are right now just popping their head or they could be full trends that will be significantly have a bigger impact in 2035? So uh, I think there's one thing which the UK faces particularly, but other, other countries have got similar, similar challenges um, that, are, that are happening now. Um, uh, the first one is, uh, without doubt, is resources um, from a, um, a staffing perspective. That, um, uh, as I mentioned, the UK has got this aging population. Well, the majority of staff working in uh, hospitality food service in the UK are younger. We're not set up to employ older people. And uh, I think that is going to be a real challenge that we move the direction of finding resource away from younger people, although we still need them to come into the industry, but towards employing and utilizing the skill sets of older people, Ad adapting shift patterns, adapting working hours, and really trying to engage with older people to get them, get them to come back into the industry or to get them to, to get into the industry. Because we're not gonna have the same number of, of younger people, or we are gonna have the same number, but it's gonna be an absolute same number whilst everything else is growing and therefore we need, we need that uh, older population. Um, so I think that from a resource perspective, uh, but it's also because technology can only play so much of a part you know, we are still a, an analog industry that makes things and serves things and technology can only replace some of that. So that's, uh, I think that's the, the key thing that uh, is happening right or starting to happen right now and give it 10, 15 years time is going to be a major, a major challenge. And I think sustainability, you know, that is, that is something which we are uh, so much more aware of and um, yeah. It's so difficult for operators. They, they, it's almost a case they can't do right for doing wrong. Um, McDonald's literally last week lambasted because it was determined that their their paper paper straws they've switched from plastic straws. They moved to paper straws, but those paper straws can't be recycled because they get too soggy. And suddenly they're in the press for all the wrong reasons. And that's that's you know that that attitude's got to change. They've made a a, a little step, um, but they're doing something. And everyone's got to be doing something going forward to move away from from the use of, of plastic uh, and of food waste. So um, sustainability, without doubt, is um, is one of those uh, those big challenges that that we're starting to see now. And boy, we, we, we've got to have it fixed by uh, by 2035. Well, it's interesting, Simon. When I look at the future, one of the other trends that I'm seeing that's uh, will have a huge impact is food wastage. Uh, they predict that by 2035, when you look at global warming and the agri-industry under a lot of pressure, that we're actually, will truly have what they predicted for so many centuries, a food shortage. And food wastage, which represents 30% of the food 
produced in the world uh, is going to be a big issue. What's your thoughts on how the food service industry is going to help respond to that challenge? Yeah, it's really interesting because it's a huge challenge for the uh, food service industry because when we're meeting the needs of consumers going out to eat, and, and all consumers have got a choice, they can eat at home uh, or eat, you know, bring their, their lunch into the workplace or uh, you know, not go out. We as an industry want to treat them with uh, generosity. We want to give them great big portions because um, that denotes value. Uh, and that's what we're trying to get consumers to spend more on by giving them more. That's got to change. And we've got to, to get consumers to recognize that value is driven not just by, by quantity, but by, by quality. So that's quite a, a big challenge for consumers and the industry to, to, to recognize. It's almost like moving everyone from the value end of the spectrum towards that fine dining where we recognize that, um, uh, that great quality food costs a lot more money. I, I saw recently, uh, literally this week, uh, Michelin came out and saying these are the best places to get uh, a three-course meal at a Michelin-starred venue for under £30. And there were chefs who were saying, no, th this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just saying that, uh, that this great quality food is cheap, and it's not because of the amount of resource that needs to go in to make sure that you're delivering quality in smaller, smaller portions. So I think, I think that's, that's a big challenge. There are other things, you know, we have to move towards more plant-based. There's a big challenge in meat alternatives that are processed. I think that's, that's going to be a, a real challenge coming down the track as consumers start to query, well, what, what does this processing in, involve? But I think plant-based uh, is certainly the right direction from a planetary perspective, a sustainability perspective, and obviously from a wastage perspective. I don't think we're going to be going down the insect route. I think that's a gimmick. I, I just don't think that we culturally are ready to happily, uh, on a normal basis, eat, uh, eat insects. But, but I do believe that insects will be used, if, I mean, they are already, but be used on a, a greater basis for animal feed to help make uh, that more sustainable going forward. Yeah, so you don't like cricket uh, crackers? <laughs> yeah, look, you know, they're okay to eat. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Um, but mentally, we've got a block. Yeah. We just know that they're wrong. I think if you look at eating a prawn, and it's, it's pretty much exactly the same, and yet we're quite happy to do that. So yeah. there's this mental block, but I just don't see us getting over that, to be honest. Well, Simon, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to uh, share your insights on the future of the food service industry. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, JP, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much uh, for inviting me to, uh, to be part of it. Uh, let's see what happens in the next uh, 10 years. The issue of polarization between luxurious and value experiences is not unique to the UK. In North America, better quality fast food is also an area of growth, and the local star chef fine dining experience is also something we see happening here. This polarization is also not unique to food service. It's happening in other retail categories as well. In response, brands need to think very carefully about their position in the market and how to give consumers that experience they need, whether it's a fast fish and chips at the pub or a special night out. And for brands that are somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, it's even more important. You can find a link to Simon's website in the podcast description below. Thanks to JP for moderating today and thanks to you for listening. 
For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we discuss the future of interactive customer experiences. We hope you'll join us.